We are, of course, a podcast that is proudly brought to you by uh, our friends over at Maynard Marks. You can find more information about uh, Maynard Marks at maynardmarks.co.nz. A long-term supporter of Rice Spear, and it really is fantastic to have them in uh, behind our podcast. So um, the name of the podcast, Staying Local, is, is fitting at the moment because I'm broadcasting uh, to you right now from Level 3 Lockdown in Auckland. Uh, I have to say that this one has been a little bit easier to, to digest than, than the last uh, times we've had to work from home and it's it's just fantastic to have a group of lawyers at Rice Beer who can uh, pivot so quickly and and move from the office to, to working from home. It's been pretty seamless to be honest Um, so that's fantastic and for all of our uh, friends around the country who are at level two I hope you're all staying safe and well and um, I'm really looking forward to to catching up with some people again it's funny how just a few days can uh, give me a little bit of travel anxiety so I look forward to getting on a plane again or or in the car soon and on that note uh, I'm Really happy to say that our guest for this podcast is Nick Hill, the Chief Executive from Boynes. Now, Boynes is a, an organisation that uh, we've been associated with and uh, at Rice Bear for a long time. And Helen's uh, background with the organisation goes back an, a number of years. So uh, it's well, it was fantastic in, in the end of 2020 for Helen to sit down with Nick to go through his career uh, and also some of the exciting things that Boynes uh, has on the agenda for 2021, but also to look at some of the lighter side of uh, Nick and, and uh, looking into his personality and and covering off those important topics like music and uh, books and, and some of those other things. So um, thanks, Nick, for taking the time, and I, I'll just give you a quick plug, and um, we're really excited to uh, have received in our inboxes last week confirmation of the 2021 Boynes Conference uh, announcement, the save the date. So I'm really looking forward to getting down to Wellington uh, on the 16th to the 18th of August 2021, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, a number of you listeners down there too. So without further ado, I will leave it to Helen and Nick. And again, thank you, Maynard Marks. Maureen and Nick, welcome to our Rice Spear podcast. It's fantastic that you're taking the time to chat to me. Thank you very much. Well, Morena, Helen, and uh, thank you for inviting me. That's fantastic. It's lovely to be in Wellington, sitting in the Boyne's office, having met again your crew and uh, you know it's impressive you've got lots of lovely photographs around and memorabilia Boynes has been going for many many years how many years has it been going for so we're now in our 53rd year so we had our um, 50th anniversary in 2017 um, and we seem to be sort of growing year on year on year which is which is great gosh in one of those um, decades you've actually held the position 
as chief executive at Boynes. And, you know, that's impressive. Ten years you've been here, Nick, at the helm. Well, it doesn't seem like ten years. It only seems like yesterday. So obviously when those sorts of um, timeframes come into into play, uh, uh, to feel like that, obviously things are happening at, at, a, at a reasonable pace. And the building industry is one of those industries that um, uh, you see continual change in, um, not only daily, but monthly and, and yearly. So, um, uh, yeah, I know it's been an exciting time. So Boynes is a non-profit registered charitable organisation and the national office is here in Wellington, where we are. And then you've got nine branches nationwide, is that right? Yes, and they're, and, and they're virtual branches um, and we have a very good voluntary um, team in each of those branches that um, coordinate and run um, training and networking events throughout the year. Our largest branch, Auckland, runs um, between uh, nine and ten events a year and uh, they're usually two to three hours. Um, other branches where the geographic distances are greater um, have training days, they might run four or six um, and uh, the catchment, um, the, the, the members from the wider catchment will travel into a central point. And number of members, how many members do you currently have? Well, I think we're around about 1,300 now. Um, and <clears throat> we get a, a natural um, attrition rate every year as people retire uh, or move into uh, different sectors. Um, but year on year, particularly over the last um, three to four years, we've actually seen growth, which is, which is great. Um, and that probably reflects um, the demand of the, um, of the sector at the moment. Uh, we've got increasing consent volumes um, and um, a limited skill capacity in terms of uh, where we're going. So we're seeing a lot of the um, uh, councils in particular um, scaling up in terms of their investment in people. That's right, because the Institute represents both the public and the private sectors, doesn't it? Yes. And, um, you know, I, I had, a, had a look at the website just in preparation for this podcast interview today, although I've been involved with Boynes for pretty much all of my 25 years in local government, so I've seen a lot of changes. But it, it's interesting, um, the diversity of the organisation and the reach throughout New Zealand, and it's certainly been through a number of changes, yeah. and it's in a really good space. It, well, it is, um, and and in my time, um, uh, and, and 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 many of the people that um, I worked closely with when I first came on board uh, will have noticed a lot of changes um, uh, in, in the um, in the last decade. Uh, I think the ones that we're proud of is we're uh, we're starting to see a lot of new young people coming into um, uh, in, into building surveying. We're starting to see females increasingly come into um, into the sector, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and we've now got um, our first um, uh, uh, woman on the Boyne's board, Carol Bokes, which is marvellous. Um, and hopefully that will start setting a bit more of a trend. I mean, and it's good to see other sectors of the, um, uh, the, the design and build environment also um, growing in terms of um, gender diversity as well. Mm. And so tell me, what are the aspects of the job, Nick, that keep you awake at night? If I was being honest, um, it will be the build quality, um, particularly um, in the smaller low end. And um, uh, I speak from personal experience and I speak from the um, experiences and exposures of our members. Um, we, we still haven't, as an organisation, um, uh, been able to influence um, the right outcomes in terms of regulatory um, uh, triggers mm. to change the behaviours and the cultures in the, in the design and build environment. 
And that's why the training is so important. The education uh, line of Boynes is, is critical. And that must be an aspect that you are proud of. Well, absolutely. Um, I think, first of all, um, uh, when I came into the organisation, there was an opportunity to um, move our qualification um, forward. And um, that was one of the, the uh, I think, the, the big leaps um, of the first um, three to four years of my time here uh, is that we managed to not only um, engage with councils and get them to support um, putting their people through the qualifications, but secondly, we had a review of the qualifications, which um, the early ones weren't mm. actually um, uh, taken up, and we uh, we developed a more fit for purpose diploma in, in the technical space, and we um, set in place a, um, a pathway qualification in terms of a certificate. We're now seeing um, good results in that respect, um, in both respects, I should say, particularly um, in the diploma where we have over 100 people um, uh, going through this year in year one and two, which is marvellous. The certificate um, uh, started um, its journey in terms of um, taking on students this year, and we've got three um, cohorts going, and we expect to have a significant increase in, in, in both numbers next year. So in terms of training, if you could predict in the next five, ten years, where do you see it um, expanding to? What areas? Well, in the qualification space, um, we're already um, looking at a degree. Um, mm. Some tentative work going on at the moment, um, which will actually align, allow us to align with international jurisdictions, which will be good. In the training space, which is really the ongoing competency space, um, I'm I probably am more disappointed in, in that area in terms of the commitment, particularly by employers, um, in putting their people through appropriate chain training. Um, we probably work in one of the most complex environments um, uh, of any sector uh, in the country, and we still haven't understood that that complexity requires ongoing training and regular ongoing training to deliver the right build outcomes. Some people will argue that um, we need to be like the um, the, the medical um, uh, and the accounting um, practices. I tend to put us in, a, in a, an environment uh, more aligned with the motor industry where if you get it wrong, people die. Um, uh, and getting it right uh, is, is what we need to do moving forward. And to, to make those changes, we need to influence the, the legislative environment. We need to change the way BCAs operate at the moment, in my personal view. I think there's a really good argument for separating the role of a BCA uh, uh, within a council and making it autonomous, um, and it provides a dividend to a council that is not controlled by the council. Mm. Uh, in that way, I think we'll get the right outcomes in terms of uh, quality oversight in the building industry in terms of the consenting and inspection process. The other big hurdle, of course, is to make sure that um, uh, in terms of training qualifications and training in the design and construction sector, um, that needs to be sorted as well. Um, I think we've got a big journey ahead of us. Mm. And so what do you see the impediments are for employers in participating in this training and education that Boynes is offering? Um, I think there are two issues. Um, uh, I don't think, um, in terms of our people, that there's any reluctance to train. 
um, I'm very comfortable that our people want ongoing training. I think behind the scenes, um, you have um, both political influences um, and um, uh, financial considerations that probably don't take into into respect the real risks that are involved in the in the uh, consenting and inspection process. Um, I would like some really good analysis done on um, a, a comparison in terms of investment and training and the resultant um, legal um, or, or litigant costs that come out of um, uh, potential um, failures in terms of what our people do. Mm. Do you see any opportunity for central government to assist with funding of the training that Boynes offers so that it's more cost effective for the members? We, we haven't asked and we've, uh, and we've been reluctant to ask, but I think there are areas where I, th- I, I think central government could help us to be more effective in the field. Um, and, we, and it may come to that particular point. Um, uh, we know that they help other organisations um, uh, and potentially um, as the, um, the organisation um, that looks after the members that oversee um, uh, building performance, maybe it's time for government to actually look at what Boyens do and help them um, uh, lift the level in the bar in terms of training and um, the role that our people do. Mm, yeah, I see that as an opportunity, yeah. uh, and particularly in these COVID times where the budgets for our council clients uh, and your members um, is significantly reduced and impacted on by the um, pandemic. And so just the, the spend for attending training, education, you know, conferences um, is going to be um, impactful. Yes, and look, uh, um I think uh, that applies to pretty well every operation um, uh, across New Zealand, whether it's in the private sector or, or the public sector. Um, I think in the um, uh, in, in the public sector, we've got to be mindful that there are regulations and requirements to train appropriately. Um, moving funds um, from one area to offset the needs in another area mm. probably need to be <laughs> scrutinised a little bit more. Um, a BCA is very um, uh, precise in, in, in what its requirements are um, and, and, and how it needs to perform. Um, I, I think that there is potential um, for influence to move funds away from the BCA um, environment into other parts of the council. I don't necessarily think that's appropriate, but probably worth a challenge at, mm. a, at a point in time if, it, um, if, if, if the mark looks like it's being overstepped. Mm, and that's why I come back to that public-private partnership. You know, so in terms of funding, these critical pathways for up, upskilling um, and addressing, as you said at the very you know outset, the the, the still ever present challenges we have in the building industry. Um, I mean, certainly in my twenty-five years, I have um, seen cycles of claims that have passed through uh, you know our litigation practice and. You know, started off with non-notified resource consents, um, judicial reviews and negligence claims. Then there was a tranche of um, differential settlements, so houses built on crappy fill and sliding down hills, which was very uh, traumatic. Um, and then you know, building defect claims, they morphed into leaky building claims. Now we're in 2020 and I'm still seeing, um, back to calling them building defect claims rather than leaky building claims now because they have a lot of fire, passive fire, um, structural defects. So our building industry is unfortunately still um, 
you know, challenging and, and producing buildings that are not co-compliant. And, and look, um, you're, you're absolutely spot on there, Helen. Um, and I can speak um, from um, a, a personal point of view there. Um, I've chaired one of um, the largest leaky building claims um, in, in Wellington in recent times. Um, and in amongst the leaky building issues, there were passive fire issues, there were structural issues, um, you know, things that you wouldn't have expected in a reasonably modern building. Um, uh, you would expect, other than the leaky side of it, everything would have been compliant, and it wasn't. Um, so yes, I, I've seen it firsthand. Um, I guess uh, to an extent I'm disillusioned. Part of my role is to move um, the uh, performance of the building sector um, into a better space. And I'm, uh, and I'm using my own experiences to try and influence um, some of the decisions um, uh, for the better. Not always um, uh, successfully, um, but if you don't try, you don't get. Well, look, you, you've, you're high energy. Uh, you've got a, you're surrounded by a great team. Um, tell me, how do you motivate them? How do you keep them optimistic and, and facing forward? Um, well, I always say Friday drinks works. Um, <laughs> and today is Friday. Yeah, and today is Friday. Um, but no, um, uh, we, are, we are very focused on, 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 on what we do um, uh, as an organisation. Um, uh, like most um, not-for-profits, you, you, you need to be um, quite strict on where you put your efforts. So we put our efforts into, into information, um, training, um, uh, advocacy, um, and general membership support. Um, and that's been a successful formula mm. since I have been in, in this organisation. And I suppose I'm a little bit lucky in that um, I understand not-for-profits better than most because I have been the past president of the Australasian Society of Association Executives, um, which specialise in upskilling and growing people that work in, in, in that sector. So all our people are supported um, by that organisation. Um, and of course, I bring to um, the table um, a, a range of skills as to um, the people I employ. So it's getting um, uh, the best out of those skills um, that makes this organisation tick. So how would you describe your style of leadership and feel free to deep dive back into, you know, we've talked about um, your parents just pre this uh, turning on the recording device. So I found that really interesting. Would you like to share a little bit of who you are and where you came from? Um, Everyone has a story. Yours is worth telling. Um, well, I, I think um, I'm, I'm a little bit lucky in, in, in many ways. I've, I, I, I come um, uh, from a, a family where uh, on one side, um, we were the predominant players in the wool industry um, across Commonwealth countries for over 100 years. Um, on the other side, I come from a family of doctors and, and engineers, you know, professional people. So somewhere in the middle, I got a bit of a mix. Um, a wool uh, mix. Yeah, yeah, a wool mix. And um, uh, uh, in both cases, um, uh, very determined people. My, my mother was a champion show jumper. My father was a racing car driver. Um, uh, in the UK and um, uh, they bought different strengths um, to what they did in business and in private life. Um, so I obviously inherited some genes um, and then over a period of time um, I um, picked up uh, a lot of experiential um, uh, learnings and benefits from some great people that I've worked with. Um, but yeah, I suppose one of the key things that I've um, looked at in, in, in my life and why I am lucky um, is, is 
the input that I've had from my parents and my um, and, and my, I told you that my father died when I was very young, um, so I had a stepfather who was extremely influential on me as well, and um, uh, he contributed to a lot of my learnings, um, uh, particularly in the um, the technical field. And so your mother is still alive today, yeah. and she is the oldest person holding a license for a particular device. What is it? <laughs> yes, well, um, much to the amazement of just about everyone that knows my mother, she actually uh, was the oldest person in New Zealand that bought a jet ski at the age of, I think, 84 at the time, um, and she still uses it. And um, uh, she was on the front page of the, uh, I think it was the Marlborough Times, um, uh, when she bought it, and there are pictures of her um, uh, tootling around the Marlborough Sounds, which is where <laughs> she lives. Um, uh, and she sold her boat um, and decided to get something smaller. Um, and yeah, no, she's quite a dynamic lady. Yeah. Fantastic. So your career is colourful before you came into Boynes 10 years ago. Uh, and, I, and I've read through um, you know, your CV and you've got such a variety of different roles and responsibilities, um, working in various general management and senior leadership roles um, in, in different industries. Can you just give us some highlights of, of those um, different, you know, I think you've been in the motor trade, um, steel, um, construction, you know, give me some highlights, Nick. Um. Well, I'll probably give you a timeline because that's mm. probably how I, how I recall it. But um, so um, I, I guess my first job, um, you know, serious job was um, working for one of the um, uh, the chemical multinationals, ICI. Um, and I look back on um, each of my roles um, and, 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 and jobs over time as, as, as being a learning experience. Um, and ICI, I, um, I, I, I learned how to trade on the international market in industrial chemicals. I then, um, but just hang on there, in industrial chemicals, was that back in the day probably quite a good thing, but is it now in 2020, that is that company sort of got a bit of a black mark against it or is a good industrial chemical no, non-polluting? No, no, well, <laughs> um, I, I, the world needs chemicals. Um, uh, <laughs> you, you, um, products require um, chemical um, material to, to, uh, to produce them. Um, you know, agriculture requires chemicals, manufacturing requires chemicals. Um, and it's just a natural way of the industrial world that mm. uh, you have inputs and you have outputs. Chemicals is just an input. Um, and, and I was lucky enough to get a, a, um, uh, an assistant product manager's role that, that, that involved trading um, industrial chemicals on the world market, buying and selling. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a great skill um, that I picked up there. I then got into um, uh, an, an environment of... Um, uh, hospitality hardware, heavy hospitality hardware, uh, where I learned some more selling skills um, before I moved offshore um, and uh, set up a, a or had a, um, a business interest with a good friend of mine in, in, in Australia, where we worked in the um, uh, in the construction sector um, and the in the swimming pool sector, and that was a short interlude of about two to three years, which I really really enjoyed because that that put me in fully um, in the, in the uh, small business space um, and you know the hard graft of making a living and, and keeping people employed. And where were you living at that time? I was living in Sydney. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, I moved on and uh, took up an internship with Osram um, in Illumination Engineering um, and uh, I uh, was involved in, in, in lighting uh, um, various aspects and, and interesting parts of Australia. Um, particularly in the floodlighting and, and street lighting um, side of things. And then um, I got a job offer from GEC in New Zealand um, to, 
to take over their industrial lighting business. Um, so I transferred back to New Zealand. And um, and was that a light bulb moment? Well, it was a great returning, moment. Returning <laughs> home? Yeah, yeah no, it was. Um, it was a great moment because uh, New Zealand was still in the dark ages then, coming out of... <laughs> com- uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, com- coming out of the, uh, the, the, the long years and, 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 and trying to find its feet again in, in, in very many uh, you know, aspects of, mm. of the economy. Um, and, and moving technology into a country that really was devoid of technology for such a long time um, uh, was particularly difficult. I did a lot of work with the power boards, you know, basically uh, trying to get them to, to, to move um, their um, te- technology forward. Uh, I succeeded in, um, uh, reasonably well in, in many cases. Uh, probably one of the, uh, the, the disappointments was at the time I wanted to floodlight every major sports field in the country <laughs> and there was just no money to do it. So um, uh, then along came Super, uh, super What about Rocky. solar power? Solar power wasn't really no. um, a thing in those days. The technology was there. Mm. There was absolutely no doubt that the technology was there. Um, uh, but in terms of scalability, it, mm. just, um, it just wasn't viable at the time. Um, so um, they must have thought I did quite a good job. So very short, shortly after that, um, I got a, uh, um, a senior management role. And, and, um, and from there, uh, within GEC New Zealand, um, I had a... A particularly good business exposure, but uh, coming into the um, uh, into the recession of eighty seven through to ninety two, which was unbelievably tough mm, um, in yes. the construction sector, um, and I still look back on the challenges that um, I had to go through along with my colleagues, and they were huge. And you may, had to make some really bold decisions uh, in respect of uh, keeping staff, um, uh, ensuring that you're ahead of the competition, and and. In many ways, because we're an international company, um, we were um, answerable to uh, our owners in the UK. So I regularly got um, phone calls in the middle of the night, just trying asking me to justify some of the decisions I've made, um, and 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 that was tough. Um, uh, I, I think the good thing was that coming out of that um, was that uh, most of my competitors uh, in the environment that I worked in uh, made. Um, uh, decisions that weren't similar to mine and so when the economy started to boom they weren't in a position to take advantage of it and I was um, and so that was that was um, looking back on it, it was it, it, it was it was a great experience but mm-hmm. by God it was really tough mm-hmm. um, and long long hours and, and, and trying to keep your people employed seems to be a, a, a you know kind of a common factor in your working career that you've always done long hours I mean I, I know at Boynes you do long mm. hours and um, you're a hard-working optimist is that how I could describe you um, you could do my wife would say I'm always absent um, <laughs> <laughs> absent uh, from home because you're working abs- absent from home because I'm working absolutely um, <laughs> As opposed I think to absent-minded, so. which uh, I wouldn't like that expression. Uh, well, <laughs> occasionally it might be. It depends <laughs> on the time of the day. Um, uh, but no, I, I think there's a bit of truth in what you say there. And um, uh, I seem to naturally fall into mm. jobs that um, I can see opportunity, um, might not, um, or um, there might not have been um, an awareness of issues um, before um, I got the role. And in, in the case of Boynes, um, there was no visibility in terms of the um, uh, the situation that this organisation was in. Um, 
Uh, so how, we, how did you land into Boynes 10 years ago? Uh, well, it was, it was quite interesting. Um, a friend of mine um, indicated that I might be interested um, and uh, that I might be able to uh, supplement my consulting income because I was in consulting at that stage. Um, uh, and this job looked like it was going to be a two to three day job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, within, I think, uh, three weeks, it was all of a sudden a seven-day-a-week uh, job, and it was probably 10 to 12 hours. Um, uh, and, you know, somehow decisions had to be made. Um, uh, and, you know, once again, long hours, mm. uh, looking at how the organisation um, uh, currently was, where the opportunities were, what we needed to do, put the business plan in place, um, and work very closely with the board um, uh, to... Uh, change the direction and, and put it back on its feet. Yeah, because, I mean, 10 years ago, Boynes was technically insolvent. Absolutely, it was. Um, you know, and so I, I, you know, I clearly remember that time mm. when you came in. Um, you know, it was a financial crisis yep. for the organisation. It may not have survived. Yep. Oh, well, we were, we were um, uh, $200,000 in debt, and uh, there wasn't a, a really good upside. And I remember going for... Uh, my Christmas holiday and talking to my friend saying I've got this really interesting role but I'm not too sure how, uh, for how long I've actually got it um, mm. but everything turned out really well um, we got support from the membership well, the majority of the membership and um, uh, we cleaned the house in terms of things that weren't working and um, uh, put in place um, uh, practices and policies and, and, um, and goals that ultimately um, gave us uh, an ability to uh, turn the ship around. And that you have done, and I congratulate you for that. And I know you're such a forward thinker and always with a abundance of energy. Is there anything on the horizon for Boynes that we don't know about that's coming down the pipeline? Well, in, in, in an environment uh, that we have today, which is COVID, um, uh, the Institute's again under quite a lot of pressure, um, obviously. We've had to cancel um, our two main conferences and we then had to cancel the supplementary uh, and uh, our training is under um, uh, considerable um, pressure as well. So income is, is significantly constrained. So when you get to that sort of situation, mm. think, well, what can I do differently? So we've got to, um, uh, we've got to go to our membership with a, a value proposition. We've always got to do that. They've got to see benefit. And so we've come up with a, um, a product which we're um, titling Boynes TV, which is uh, with, a, with a trading name, uh, Breakfast with Boynes. Um, and that'll allow our members to engage with us in terms of current information, engage with key players in the industry um, on a fortnightly basis um, and, uh, and, and understand you know, what are the changes, what are the dynamics, um, what are the opportunities that are presenting themselves um, uh, ahead of where we are currently. Um, so our, um, my job um, and, and, and the team here is to, to populate a TV show um, on a fortnightly basis that is interesting and engaging um, and that'll have our members uh, saying, wow, we're ahead of the game here, we know what's going on. It's going to be hard work, make no bones about it. Um, we're going into a space uh, that we haven't been into before. Um, we're working with some uh, really interesting people, which is which is good. Um, but a lot of the work is being done in-house. Um, Fantastic. Uh, yeah. I was watching Seven Days last night, and I'm wondering, are you going to have a band kicking it off, a bit of music? 
Well, and <laughs> some comedians. Well, actually, we've got a training session immediately. Uh, not a training session. We've got a planning session immediately after this interview. So um, you've just given me an idea. So thank you very much. <laughs> oh, I'm big yeah, on music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I, I know you are too because um, that's something that we share in common. And, uh, you know, I, I love chatting to you about music. I know that, like me, um, we both can't play instruments, yeah. but we have an ear for music and uh you know, I, I, when I was talking to you just before, we were talking about the decades of music. And gosh, you were so quick to tell me in each decade what, you know, your favorite tune was. Yeah, well, I, I was impressed. Like, let's just you know, speed date through. So the 1950s. Well, Mac the Knife. And I grew up with Mac the Knife um, with um, Bobby, uh, Bobby Darren. Yeah. And um, I can still remember the parties at home when I was just a, a knee high to a grasshopper. And that was, uh, that was, that was sort of uh, playing in the background. And, 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 um, you know, my parents were um, uh, party people, um, so music was always part of, of where we were. Yeah. So we're going to whip through the decades <laughs> yeah. for the younger ones yeah. that are listening as well, but let's stay with the oldies. So the 1960s, I mean, that's got to be a no-brainer. Yeah. Well, the Beatles, yeah, it's got to and, be. And I can say um, that I have seen the Beatles. Um, so I grew up in Christchurch, and when they came to Christchurch, wow. um, they stayed in the Clarendon Hotel, and um, my uncle... Um, at the time took uh, my brother and I and, and his children to see them stand on the balcony at the Clarendon. I, can't, I must have been seven or eight or if, if that at the time. And then they did the concert and then on the way uh, and then they took off the next day and they drove down Memorial Ave in um, uh, convertible American limousines <laughs> sitting on the back. And so we lined Memorial Ave as well. So I saw them twice. Amazing. <laughs> and Rolling Stones, presumably in the 1960s, that's got to be another Yeah, kind of well, Stones are always, um, they're, they're always edgy. And um, uh, it's just music that I really liked. Mm. Um, and uh, when they came to Wellington, I saw them here. And I mean, it was an unforgettable performance. My um, business partner, Nathan, he was telling me that the uh, Keith Richards um, autobiography is a great yeah. read. Yeah, I'd like to know how he fell out of the coconut tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 1970s? Yeah, um, well, that's, I guess those are my uh, um, formative years, and I can always remember driving around in cars with money by Pink Floyd sort of <laughs> jinkling away, um, and then Queen came on the scene with Bohemian Rhapsody, of course, and then Fleetwood Mac turned up, um, and um, <coughs> sort of, you know, the, the, the huge variety of, of product from Fleetwood Mac was great, but I do like Go Your Own Way. Mm, Rumours has got to yep. be one of the yep. all-time Great. greats. Uh, 1980s? Um, well, Bowie was coming to his own, and I really do have a soft spot for Bowie, so Modern Love was great. Um, and funnily enough, um, the day he died, my son and I we were painting um, one of the rooms in our house and all we were playing was a loop of David Bowie mm. and it was quite mm. fortuitous. I'm very sad really because mm. uh, I loved him as a musician. I saw him in Sydney when I lived in Sydney. Mm. Um, so that was great, yeah. Yeah, in 1990s? Um, well, that's the sort of sort of cruisy sort of um, period. There were a lot of, you know, um, uh, Alana Morissette and things like that, but REM was always great. Um, yes. And, um, and, and I think I was getting into my business career well and truly by then, so I wasn't jumping around and doing a lot of things, so it was quite, it was quite calming. And lastly, the, the noughties. Yeah, well, um, business career sort of moves on, and as you get older, you drink a bit more, so, um, so, so <laughs> Amy Winehouse, I don't know if there's any synergy with that, but um, uh, back, back, back to black, I've always liked. And there's a... Um, uh, some music um, uh, by A.A. A. Bondi, uh, who's an American folk sort of um, country mm. type um, 
uh, um, songwriter and, and singer, and he does some really great stuff. And not very many people know about it, so I'd suggest you go and yeah, down, you. download that. AA Bondi, and there's some great stuff um, there. The two that I really like is Rapture and Lovers Waltz, um, and it's really good car music um, if you if you if you're travelling anywhere. Fantastic. Well, I'm a pedestrian. I walk to and from work every day, and it's quite a long walk. Mm. 45 minutes so I'm going to add AA Bondi to my um, Spotify playlist thank you for that so look it's been an absolute pleasure to um, chat to you today Nick I there's so much more that I could ask I'm going to end up end with just some whimsical questions um, one is uh, who you would have as your dinner guests well um, <laughs> I, I, this is going to be a bit edgy but um, I think the um, the I've always been a historian, um, so uh, Horatio Nelson has um, uh, always <laughs> interests me. I mean, and and, and uh, from from a, from a number of points, but he's 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 a um, uh, very much a, a strategist um, uh, and a winner, and those are the two things that, that I quite like. Um, I also uh, would like to have. Um, Marilyn Monroe, um, uh, and you might ask why, and it's not, yes, the, reason, it's not why. the reason that you think, um, because I really want to know about more about um, that part of American history, and she was right in the middle mm. of, of um, American politics, American leadership, um, the dynamic sort of 50s and 60s, and, 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 um, and she'd have some great stories to tell, mm. unbelievable stories to tell, you know, Bobby <laughs> and John mm-hmm. and others, you mm-hmm. never know, um, and, and Catherine the Great. Um, and Catherine the Great as a lady that came from um, uh, very humble beginnings and married, um, uh, ultimately married um, Peter the Great. Uh, um, and uh, her life uh, with him uh, was incredibly amazing. And I recently read a book um, on her and, and uh, it really stirred me in terms of how she moved from a very poor background to become the Empress of Russia. Um, uh, so there's a, a t- there's a TV series that's just there's come one, out. Yes, called... there's, there's two actually. I haven't seen them, um, but I've because um, uh, I haven't had time. But I'll download them probably in a, in a, in a holiday period. Mm, the one I'm thinking of is called The Great, and yep. it's on Neon, and it's irreverent, and there's a lot of swear words in it, and swear words and words that would not have being around back in the day. So well, I think you might be wrong there. If um, F-U-C-K was there. Uh, well, I don't know if that word. I don't know if that Excuse word. Excuse me, listeners. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, it was... a lot of that in the TV it, series. It was very bold and ballsy, if I can use um, uh, those those two words, uh, and, and the way they lived and challenged each other. Yes. Um, and there was a lot of debauchery, debauchery in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Russian court, um, as there were in, in, in a lot of the old English courts as well. Um uh, so, yeah, I think there's um, uh, probably um, a, a bit of truth, maybe a lot of artistic license as well, but a bit of truth there. Oh, look, wonderful to chat. Last wrap-up question is I'm all, because I'm an avid reader and, um, you know, with less to do and less travelling and all, I'm reading even more prolifically. So tell me any good books you've read of late. Um, one I'm reading at the moment is A Double Life by Charlotte Philby. And she's Kim Philby, the um, the uh, double spy um, from mm-hmm. the Perfumo Affairs granddaughter. Um, country it, of origin? Uh, country of origin is English. Um, yes. And uh, so she's still in the UK. Um, and it's really, really interesting and, and, and worth and worth reading. It's she structures the book really well um, and comes from from completely um, different um, avenues. I 
did a because um, I, I was interested in, 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 in the perfumer affair many years ago. I just assumed her the other day, and, and uh, she's actually positioned the um, the plot in the book uh, against some of her um, um, family's um, background. Uh, but I think if you, you do want to read it, it's a, it's a Fantastic. easy read, but it's a, sort of a twisty sort of read as well. Great. Well, look, thank you so much. You've given me lots to think yeah. about, some music, some yeah. books, some works that yeah. Boynes is doing. Breakfast with Boynes coming up in the future every fortnight sounds like a wonderful initiative. Congratulations for your decade of hard work and look forward to seeing more of you ahead. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Helen. Really appreciate it. And thank you for your support and, uh, and, and, and great to be able to share some of me with you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks to Nick for taking the time to have that chat with Helen. It really is great to have such a diverse uh, group of people now um, on the podcast and we've been through 10 episodes now and so there's plenty more to come we look forward to coming back to you uh, on the 20th of March so until then stay safe and look after each other